0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, Good to see some of your faces and thanks for those joining us online. This is weird. We haven't done a, a live service yet. So this is like a total, we'll see how it goes. I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to like regularly look at that camera to see, you know, see those of you that are worshiping us online. This is weird. It's different, but we're really grateful for those that are here in the building and for those that are, that are worship, worshiping with us online. Honestly, it's the first time I've had to preach in pants in like five months, uh, which is a different thing. Uh, no, I'm not saying I wasn't wearing pants previously, I've just, I have to today for the first time. Steve, our cameraman's like, no, you had to every, every time. Um, we're going to be uh, walking through a little mini-series for the next three weeks. Um, every fall, we take time, before we get back into the book of the Bible we're, we're working through, which this year is the book of Matthew, we're still working through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but before we do, we take time to kind of recenter and refresh around our mission as a church. And our mission as a church is that we exist to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. That our purpose as a church is to help people learn about what Christ has done for them. To reconcile us to the God who made us by grace through faith alone. And then to learn to follow him. Just to follow him throughout our life. And uh, what we're asking at this particular fall is what does it mean to follow Jesus in this cultural moment? What does it look like to follow Jesus right now in the midst of a global pandemic where there are divisions and there are tensions and there are losses and there are challenges that are facing us, not just at an individual level, but at a sort of society-wide, city-wide, nationwide, global level. And so what we're doing today um, is we are first kind of looking at this framework of what does it mean to follow Jesus through the wilderness? What does it mean to understand uh, the wilderness as a framework for understanding the dynamics of this life? Uh, next week, we're going to say, what, what does it actually look like to actually pay attention to Jesus in the midst of the wilderness to orient our life around his presence? How do we do that practically in this kind of season? And then the third week, we're looking specifically at what's God trying to form in us? And so saying, what does it mean to follow Jesus towards a life of love? That we would, in this world, as his people, reflect his love, reflect his glory, reflect his kindness and his mercy in all the places he's called us to be. And so that's what we're doing uh, today. Before we dive in, I want to just encourage us all just to take a few deep breaths, and uh, I say deep for those with masks, you know, through your mask, deep breaths, Um, but just take a few breaths and calm down, calm our hearts, um, knowing that God is actually with us, whether you're at home or here in the building, Um, the God of the universe is with us, so let's remember his presence. Holy Spirit, we want to thank you for your constant presence with us. Whether we're gathered in a building or gathered in homes uh, scattered around the city, um, thank you for your promise that you're with us. And I pray you would today awaken us to the reality of your presence, but also awaken us to the beauty of your story. And help us to learn as a people what it means to follow you, Jesus. To follow you through the wilderness of this life. Uh, We need you uh, in so many significant ways. We always do, but we see it. Um, We want to pay attention to your presence. We want to trust in your presence now. So would you guide us? Would you teach us? Would you lead us with your mercy and your grace and your steadfast love? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, We are all shaped by stories. What we're shaped by stories. You're shaped by your own personal story, your own personal history, the kind of contours of your story have shaped you, but also the stories that were told shape us, the stories we witness shape us. And we, as we kind of like work through life, we form every human being forms what people call a meta-narrative. So you form an overarching story through which you're gonna make sense of the world. So you have a story that you think is gonna kind of make sense of the kind of the beauty and the brokenness of the world, the different pieces, and kind of in this story it will kind of give shape and meaning to your life. And again, the stories we, we tell each other and listen to kind of set that framework for us. Um, I, I think often of uh, kind of when our kids were younger, every night I would kind of do this, kind of make up a story. And, and it didn't have to be that great as they were younger. Um, but what I found out really quickly is it had to have a problem in it. Because there are nights when I would be really tired and I'd be like, oh, so there are three little kids, they had a good day, then they got tired and they stayed in bed all night without ever getting out of bed once the end. You know, Lord may it be so, make this happen. Um, and, And they would be like, dad, that was a lame story that had no problem in it. There was no like challenge, there was no difficulty. Like even as little kids, they understood like good stories, Have challenges and the challenges typically as we understand any story whether you're talking about a Marvel movie or your favorite streaming drama or some Disney movie in the midst of these challenges the characters are kind of being refined their character is being forged and refining and developing they're maturing and before you get to resolution they've had to struggle through something that's brought transformation and kind of refinements into their life that there's some sort of breakthrough that that happens through the challenges. that's that's true in life. The problem is the problem is most of us have subscribed to a story in our society that doesn't give a lot of room for struggles. We actually subscribe to a story where struggles feel out of place. Challenges, difficulties, setbacks, kind of failures feel like they're derailing like where did this come from and how did this happen? And as much as kind of history itself should kind of disabuses of that kind of thought and that sort of meta narrative, as you pay attention to every society ever both at a society level and an individual level there are always struggles not just kind of like temporary ones on the way to long-term progress that most societies actually all societies throughout history experience eventual devastation Whereas as a society they, they shatter they crush they dissolve as a society and new societies are formed in their wake you see it throughout history but 2020 has sort of like been a sort of like global wake-up call for us as as a kind of whole planet understanding what it means to go through a challenging time together as humanity. Oftentimes like you can have an individual struggle or a family member or somebody you know or love is going through something and you help them through it, but that's this sort of like pocket. Meanwhile, you're trying to build your awesome life and then your awesome life has its struggles and there's somebody else to help you through it and these are happening kind of like in distant enough ways that we still have this Weird sense that it's not the way things are normally. And then we take even death, which is this sort of like final struggle that we all go through, and we tuck it away to the corners and the margins of society. And in a moment like this, in a pandemic, we are kind of going through a global initiation to the reality that life is full of challenges, that life is kind of in the biblical framework a wilderness. It's a wilderness. The wilderness in the Bible's kind of understanding is a place where human resources are insufficient to get us through. That when you try to build a flourishing, thriving life in the wilderness, your human resources, it's just not going to work. The wilderness is not a place where, th- where there's like thriving human civilization. There are kind of sewn into the fabric of the wilderness. There are inadequacies, insufficiencies, there are limitations, and there are struggles. In that framework, the idea of the wilderness kind of is all throughout the Bible. In the biblical version of this meta-narrative, in the Bible's overarching story, the theme of wilderness punctuates it and runs through it to actually give sense to what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to live in this life as a follower of Christ, as, as a member of the people of God. And so what I want us to to do today is actually take a moment and pay attention to that because I think when we actually pay attention to the the framework of the wilderness, the dynamics of the wilderness, when we're honest about it, we can actually begin to let the wilderness challenges and and struggles not kind of be these momentary setbacks that we're trying to kind of overcome in our own strength by our own ingenuity or effort, but they become opportunities to have our faith refined, deepened, to actually experience deep transformation which is what God tends to do in the wilderness. Wilderness is a time where he's revealing and refining. He's always revealing things and he's refining things. And so this morning, um, kind of my my hope is that we would understand that the Christian life is a life of following Jesus through the wilderness. There's a really beautiful destination, but the majority of this life, the, the majority of the experience on this side of eternity is following Jesus through the wilderness. And that doesn't feel super encouraging, but it, it's real. I'm not, I'm not like trying to be like, hey, what's going to inspire you? It's like, what's, what's real? And how do we actually take the biblical meta and, and let it give shape and meaning uh, to, even to this particular season? And so we're going to look at uh, three different things. One, just the first one we're going to look at is just to face the reality of the wilderness, to face the reality of the wilderness. So in kind of biblical studies, there's a, there's a, um, different ways of approaching the Bible that are, all have their place. One of the ways is called systematic theology, which is essentially where you're taking an idea like, I wanna understand what the Bible has to say about salvation. And so in systematic theology, we call that soteriology. I wanna look throughout the whole Bible and say, how, how do we understand salvation from the story of the Exodus? How do we understand salvation from the Israelites return from uh, exile? How do we understand salvation through the lens of Jesus or in the gospels? And you're kind of taking the whole Bible and saying, what does it say about salvation? That's systematic theology. Another way to approach the Bible that has its place also is what we call biblical theology, which we're actually tra- tracing storylines. We're actually tracing this, this narrative and these themes that find their place in the narrative throughout the Bible. And the wilderness has a, is a major theme that runs throughout the whole narrative. And so what I'm going to do today is less of unpack Matthew chapter 4, this, this section, and more say, what does it mean, this call where Jesus is gathering people saying, follow me, follow me, how do we understand this theme of the wilderness in Matthew, but also throughout the rest of the story? Um, One of the things I love about the Gospel of Matthew, uh, it's one of my favorite books of the whole Bible. Um, One, Matthew is brilliant. Matthew is like off the charts, brilliant writer. It's it's brilliant literature, and Matthew is inspired by the Holy Spirit, so he has that going for him, and and he's writing a story that has its surface level kind of like um, intelligibility. That a child can hear the story, they can, they can read through. I think of my kids when they are kind of like doing audio book through the gospel of Matthew. Just like picking up, picking up the main story, which is Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary. He's baptized by John in the wilderness. He, he goes through these difficulties, but he begins gathering people. He has this ministry. Eventually, he's betrayed. He's crucified to a tree. On the third day, he raise, rises again. He meets with his people and sends them out on a mission. That's the surface narrative of Matthew. And it's the gospel, it's the good news. It's the gospel according to Matthew. But under the surface, there's a uh, subsurface story that runs all the way through Matthew. And it's stunning. And Matthew is taking the life of Jesus and his followers, and he's actually showing through different themes and the way he quotes the Old Testament, the way he structures the whole gospel, he's showing that Jesus is also kind of reliving the story of Israel. Israel's journey out of bondage in Egypt where they're redeemed from this slavery that was crushing them, that was leading them to death and destruction. They couldn't free themselves. They couldn't rescue themselves. They couldn't deliver themselves. They couldn't liberate themselves. They're in this inescapable burden that was destroying their life and their people. And they cried out to God for deliverance. And God, through the blood of a sacrificial lamb, through a sacrificial death, redeems them, rescues them from slavery through the waters of the Red Sea They come through the waters and they go into the wilderness for 40 years before finally gaining entry and being admitted into the promised land, this land that's flowing with milk and honey. That's the basic story of Israel's formation as a people. And so, Jesus, in the way Matthew frames the story of Jesus, he's born of the Virgin Mary, but immediately he's taken out to Egypt. And you're like, what's going on in here? Because Herod, the tetrarch over Judea, is killing all the baby boys. And if you're familiar with the story of the Exodus, you're like, oh, that's like Pharaoh killing the baby boys in Egypt of the Hebrews. And then Jesus is taken out of Egypt. Then he comes back out of Egypt. And as he kind of begins this ministry, he goes out into the wilderness, he comes through the waters of baptism in the Jordan River, then he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, where he's tested and tried by Satan, his faith in Christ, his reliance on the Holy Spirit is deepened, and then he goes kind of in this immediate passage that we're looking at here, he begins to form a new people, calling people, follow me, follow me, follow me, and he goes up on a mountain, like in Exodus 19, Mount Sinai, but he goes up on the the mount, and he begins to teach people the ways of his kingdom, like the law. And Matthew is saying that Jesus is like a whole new Moses, liberating people from a different kind of bondage, and he's liberating them through a different blood of a different lamb, and he's bringing them through the waters of baptism, and he's eventually calling them into this flourishing, beautiful experience of all things new, restoration, land flowing with milk and honey like this paradise. But that's not yet. Before the paradise, before the new creation is the wilderness. But the Christian life here and now is a journey through the wilderness. And so the themes that we see in Exodus that kind of unpack the dynamics of the wilderness help us make sense of what's happening in our life here and now so that when we're following Jesus in difficulties and trials and temptations and warfare and setbacks and losses and failures happen, it's not like, what the heck, this isn't what Christianity is supposed to be. It's like, no, this is exactly what the Christian journey is supposed to be learning in the wilderness, redeemed from our slavery to sin and this crushing death that we had deserved and earned because of a rebellion against God, redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, brought through the waters of baptism, letting our faith be both revealed and refined in the wilderness. And that's the framework, and it's obvious all around us. Right now in the middle of a global pandemic, it's it's obvious. You feel the realities. You feel it in our just the, the kind of physical, material, like, kind of like medical sense. Just so many people that are getting sick, and dying. The amount of people that are sick. I have so many. I have friends that have struggled in the ICU. I know people who have passed away because of COVID. And you feel the reality. As friends that are pastors in big cities that have watched many people that have been in hospitals struggling and dying, and you and you might be able to kind of push against certain things and be like, well, is this is. Big a deal is everybody, it's a big deal. It's a global pandemic that has brought the world to its knees. And you feel it in people's physical suffering, you feel it in the emotional difficulty, anxiety and depression, relational tensions, marriages that are struggling, parents and kids that are working through hard difficulties. You feel it economically with job loss and stock market crashing, crashing, people's retirement plans going kind of like down the drain. You feel it kind of in the broader relational, recreational, social settings where you can't kind of have the same dynamics with your friends. We haven't been able to meet as a church family and we still can't meet as a church family, all of us together. Normally on a Sunday morning, we'd have this room full of four to five hundred people, and we have 75 people in the world, and and people watching, or in the room, and people watching online. This is just, it's weird. Your your plans to go visit a friend or a loved one had to be be canceled. Your your thoughts about what you're going to do for your school, for your kids, or for grad school just changed big time. And it's like, again, this wake-up call. We're in the wilderness. We've got to face that reality. We've got to face that reality. There's a temptation right now to to find ways to tuck it away and push it aside. But actually, God does things in the wilderness. Throughout the the biblical story, the wilderness is a place where there is warfare. You have in in the history of Israel, the Amalekites that are coming to try to really attack the most vulnerable, the people that were straggling behind on the journey. And the same thing's true now, that there's an enemy, and it's not your spouse, and it's not your boss, and it's not your co-worker, and it's not the government. There's an enemy who's wanting to steal, kill, destroy, divide and in our vulnerability and our weariness he's after us but there's also challenges that are designed by god to actually deepen and mature our faith like a crucible or a furnace that's burning out the dross of these metals both to reveal the purity or impurity of the metal but also to refine it to strengthen it to build it and that's what god's doing in the wilderness so so how do we if we're kind of like okay There are real challenges, and I don't know how you're kind of tasting them and experiencing them right now, but I want to encourage you, just like ask yourself that question, where do I feel the reality of the wilderness right now? Where do I feel it? Where do you feel it? Do you feel it relationally? you feel it with your extended family? you feel it emotionally? Maybe you're struggling through job job loss. Maybe you're on furlough. Maybe your company laid off a bunch of people. You feel it you're kind of preparing for retirement and with this kind of, you expected a certain amount of income in retirement, but because of the stock market tanking, that's now less stable than you thought it was. You have people that are sick and people that are dying. Where are you feeling it? And divisions and tensions? Once you're honest about it though, you, you're gonna respond. And, uh, and that's this kind of second piece. that The, the wilderness actually reveals our vulnerability. It reveals our vulnerability. In human beings, we don't like being vulnerable. And so we find some way to sort of respond, some sort of defense natural human mechanism that we're trying to find some way through the discomfort, some way. And so there are a lot of different ways to do it. But one of the dynamics that I think has been helpful for me, there's um, some psychologists that have helped me understand a concept that different people in anthropology call liminal space. Um, Liminal is this Latin word for threshold and so liminal space is this kind of experience in life that people tend to go through that's kind of between two different worlds. So there's the world the way it used to be, and you had, you had kind of made sense of the world. You had these kind of relationships. You had these rhythms. You had these dynamics. You had, like, your work and all this stuff. And, and you had probably found more security in sort of the kind of the framework and the setup and the structures of your life than maybe you think. But you're also following Jesus and you're learning. And then a situation like this happens, and it's all wrecked. It's totally wrecked, The life as it was is gone, and we're not going back to normal. It's wrecked, and so you're into this threshold. It's this Latin word, liminal is a Latin word for threshold, what Pete Scazzaro calls the confusing in between. We're not in the world as it will be. Your your kind of relational structures haven't kind of reset up, your work's different, and, and society's different, and our even ability to recreate and socialize is different, but we're not there yet. We don't know what's coming. We guess, we, we make stabs at it, we try to plan, we pr- try to prepare, but we're not there. And so this, this space between the world as it was and the, and the world as it will be is this threshold moment, this in-between space where it's disorienting, it's confusing, it's challenging, it's vulnerable. You feel your limitations, you feel your kind of lack of wisdom. I don't know what's gonna happen, so I can't chart my course. And it's a place in the human experience where God tends to do really, really, really deep transformative work. Because the structures and the things we had built our kind of stability around are gone. And before we have a chance to recling to all these kind of tangible material things that we can do or accomplish or or achieve, before we can do that, we're we're kind of stuck here, kind of face-to-face with our vulnerability, face-to-face with our limitations. And because we don't like it, we begin to respond. Sometimes we clamor for control, and you might not be able to get control, kind of get your reins around all of life. So you find some little area of life. At least, I, if I could control this area, if I can control this relationship, or control my house, or control my job, or control this thing, and and you feel this like I want something stable because the instability of life is so disorienting, and I hate it. So I want something stable, right? So for me, it's like I've been like doing house projects. I keep joking about it, but it's like something, something that's like I can do and achieve and accomplish when everything else is spinning out of control. Or, or maybe maybe for you it's, uh, and, and that can lead to real anxiety, real stress. That's a burden you can't bear. Um, or it's anger and grumbling. You see this in, in Israel's history in their wilderness wandering. They were so angry at Moses and Aaron. They're like, why did you bring us out to the wilderness to die? And they're mad at Moses. They're mad at Aaron. They're mad at God. And maybe that's for you. It's like somebody to be angry with. I'm going to be angry with my spouse. I'm going to be angry with my boss. I'm going to be angry with my coworkers. I'm going to be angry with the government. I'm going to be angry with the left government or the right government or somebody to blame for this mess. Somebody to blame. Because it's something you can hang on to. If somebody, if you can be angry at somebody, you have something. If you can blame somebody, you have something. And so you cling to it. you're angry and you feel resentment and contempt and you kind of join into this polarizing rhetoric that divides and destroys this anger that's just toxic it's the way we we respond and and even as a society you see it in the political realm there's a, a guy named mark sayers that calls he calls it the secular renewal myth which is this false narrative that says we can kind of build towards a utopic society without the presence of god so if we have enough time, enough education, if we have enough effort and kind of put all the kind of right pieces together, we can build a utopia where everything's going to be good. And the left has a version of that, which is a myth. And the right has a version of that, which is a myth. Like human societies can't build utopia because we're in the wilderness. We're in the wilderness. It doesn't mean you don't engage in this world, but you don't expect human government to build a utopic society. And when you do, then everybody's failing you and you're angry at everybody and everybody's screwed the whole thing up. And the reality is, as a human race, we screwed it up and we rejected the reign of God. That's why there's challenges. And so you're in this wilderness and you're responding. Some of us, we try to distract or numb ourselves. So it might be substances. You're going to drink drink more and more often, drinking more and more than you know you should. You're going to pornography. You're going to drugs. You're going to just binge TV and just escapist behaviors to push away and, and numb the realities. Um, For my family, you know, two days ago, we adopted a puppy because that felt like a good idea. uh, Right now, we're like, all right, life's crazy. Let's adopt a puppy. Um, So figuring that out, right? But it's also like, hey, here's a little bright spot in the midst of an otherwise chaotic world, right? Something that's stable and doesn't know all the chaos that's happening. It's just a cute little puppy that whimpered and whined most of last night. Um, So that was super fun. Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, I uh, I don't know what it is, right? Some way, and those aren't all inherently bad, but we're, we're trying to dodge it. So, what God's calling us to is something deeper, but it's a little more scary. It's just to own your vulnerability, just to own it. It's being revealed. Own it, God. I, I can't fix this. I don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen with grad school. I'm hurting in my marriage. I feel tension in my marriage. I don't know how to get through it. I don't know what to do with our kids for school. I don't know what to do with these relationships. I don't know where my income is going to come from. I don't know. And just to own it, you're in the wilderness. And let, and let that reality kind of set on you as an opportunity to cry out, Lord, I need you. I need your peace in the midst of the chaos. I need your love in the face of rejection. I need your grace in the face of my failures. I need your wisdom in the face of the ambiguity and the uncertainty. I need a savior in the midst of a broken world. I cannot save myself. And welcome to Christianity. I need a savior to redeem me from this broken mess that I can't redeem myself from. Enter Jesus. The Redeemer, the Savior, the Lamb, the King, the Guide, the Peace Giver, Joy Giver, Life Giver, the the Rock who's in the wilderness providing water for the weary Israelites, the Bread from Heaven that's come to sustain us, the One who's come to guide us like this pillar of fire and this pillar of smoke that guides the people of God through the wilderness. Jesus has come into the brokenness to set us free through His sacrificial death and His resurrection and is here with us to guide us, to build our faith, to strengthen our trust in him. People will say often that the Israelites were taken out of Egypt, but it took the wilderness to get the Egypt out of the people. And the same is true for us. Like, okay, I'm, I'm hoping in all the things of this world. I'm hoping in approval, and I'm hoping in possessions, and I'm hoping in material gain, and I'm hoping in kind of control or power, and I'm trying to build the meaningful life by getting these things on my own. Finally, you realize those things can't give life. Jesus is the only one that can give life. So I'm trusting in Jesus. He died for me. He loves me. He's the king. He reigns. He's in control. But I still want that stuff. And it's the wilderness that begins to reveal and refine how much my life was kind of hanging on to those old structures and values and cravings. And now it's getting ripped and refined and revealed. And now Jesus is teaching us to trust him right now, to trust him trust him. And that's what the wilderness does last, is actually refines our faith in Christ. It refines our faith in Christ. All the New Testament authors talk about this. Paul talks about it in Philippians 4. Paul will say, I I have learned in every situation the secret of being content, the secret of actually having stability and joy and hope and peace in the midst of crazy challenges and beautiful moments, both. I've learned the secret. How did he learn that? By going through crazy stuff shipwrecks, losses, betrayals, beatings, imprisonments, hardship, rejection from friends, rejection from other people. He had gone through it, and he had learned through the wilderness how to trust in God, how to actually put his hope in him, how to rejoice in him always. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter's like, man, we're hoping in this future kind of promise, this this promise that God is going to come and make all things new, but he says, even though right now, if necessary, you're being grieved by various kinds of trials, struggles, challenges. He says, so that, here's the purpose, Peter's explanation of the purpose of the trials, is so that the the tested genuineness of your faith, tested means like this tried through the fire, genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, though it's tested by fire, would be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the idea is, You are going through these things and it's refining and building your faith in Christ. James says the same thing in James chapter 1 verse 2. It says, kind of all joy, brothers and sisters, when you fall into trials of, of various kinds. Knowing that the trying of your faith produces something. It produces endurance, like deeper, richer, fuller trust in Christ. And that's what's happening right now. However you're tasting the realities of the wilderness, when you begin to see what is this revealing in me, it's now an invitation an invitation. I want to look to Jesus for joy. I want to look to Jesus for hope. I want to look to Jesus for acceptance. I want to look to Jesus for stability and security and guidance and wisdom. And as we begin to turn to him in the face of our own vulnerability, our own neediness, our own weakness, man, what he does to set us free from those things that just suffocate and strangle the life out of us is beautiful and transformative. And he's intending to do it in us right now. He's demonstrated the love of God through his sacrificial death, but he's present with us right now, inviting you. Trust me. Cling to me. Run to me. Follow me through the wilderness. Let's pray together. Jesus, we right now confess that we need you. In this moment between bondage and all things new where we're feeling these dynamics, we need you. We need you to deepen our faith. We need you to deepen our trust, deepen our hope in you. So all around this room and all around the city, Spirit of God, would you work to reveal and to refine our faith, to reveal the things we're trusting in and to refine our faith in you.